0: Welcome to the Recovery House of Worship. When I was in the third grade, I would tell my teacher that because I wasn't the best kid, I don't even know if you could even see that in me. Um, I was always perfect most of my life. Um, You know, there was that third day, but we don't even think about that one day of not being perfect. But so, well, I, I. I would tell my teachers, I am going to, and I I don't know where I heard this from, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to turn over. And what that meant was that I was going to determine in my mind to not be fresh, not be sneaky, not be bad in school, to do my homework, to study for the test, to actually participate in school, and even show up. I was going to turn over a new leaf. And yet, whenever I was going to turn over a new leaf, it never worked for long. Every time I wanted to turn over a new leaf, the leaf would turn right back over (laughs) to where it was in the beginning. So how do I change? It was something that bothered me, because all my life I'm thinking there are issues. Does anybody here have something about them that they wish they could change. Go ahead, shoot your hand up if you dare. Yeah, right, OK. And those who you don't know have your hands up, you're total liars. And so, or, or, you, or we're raising our hands for you, because you don't see yourself the way we see you. OK, and so, but here's the deal, here's the deal. How do you change? How do you become better than you were? How do you become different than you are? Well, I tell you, that, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen by determination. Some people think it's just determination. It doesn't happen by willpower. Some people think it's just willpower. Today, the reason that this sermon is so important is because every one of us want to be better than we are presently. Every one of us want to grow in maturity. Every one of us, no matter how good our marriages are, we want better marriages. No matter how good our relationships with our kids are, we want that to improve. No matter what our relationship with Jesus is like, we want that to grow. No matter where we are in life, we want to improve, we want to get better, but the problem is, we don't know how. Well, if you want to improve, if you want to get better, if you want to change, I'm glad that you're here today. Because today, we're going to talk about how do we grow? How do we change? Now, the question is, to what do we change into? And sometimes, our solutions are worse than the diseases. Our cures are worse than the the illnesses. And so we have to ask ourselves, to what do we want to change? And, And the fact is, is that if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, and by the way, if you're here and you're new and you don't know Jesus, or you're just testing the, you know, you're just kicking the Christian tires or testing the Christian waters. You're not sure. You go, you know, I'm not, I'm not down with this Jesus thing. Or, or if someone invited you um, here today and you go, you know, I'm just here because they invited me. I'm not really down with this whole Jesus thing and the whole singing thing weirded me out and, and all that other stuff. Although I really like that part about getting away from your wife. Other than that, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like really, really not into this. If that's you, I'm so glad you're here. I'm elated that you're here. We create this service um, in, in large part for you. And we just want to create an environment where you can feel safe and, um, and it, it, it could be something that maybe might spark your affections or ideas or thoughts or eyes towards Jesus. So if you're here and you're new, we're grateful that you're here. And you're not sure, we're grateful that you're not sure. Just, we, we would just encourage you, just keep coming. It's, it's a cool place. What you're going to find in the recovery house of worship is a lot of broken people who are stopping, stopping their need to pretend. And that's what we are, just the broken people who don't need to pretend. Here's what we believe in the recovery house of worship. We believe that we're so messed up, Jesus had to die for us. That's how messed up we are. I don't know how messed up you think you are, but that's how messed up we think we are. And so we're grateful that you're here. But the question then becomes for the Christian, well, if you're a Christian, it's easy. The answer is we want to be more like Jesus. Every day we want to grow more and more to the likeness of Christ. Now, we're in a brand new series. Well, it's not so new anymore. We're actually halfway through the series. Um, and it's called The Purpose Driven Life. And we've been looking at each one of our purposes throughout the um, series. And today we're going to look at another purpose. And that purpose is discipleship. And that is, it's right there in your notes. If you open up your bulletins in your notes, you're going to follow along. We have the entire sermon put there for you. By the way, this is not my sermon. This is not my curriculum. This is not my book. This is none of those things. This all came from Saddleback Community Church, Rick Warren, and that church. We're grateful for them. I feel the need to tell you that every week, because I don't want to take credit for ideas that are not mine. And so none of my ideas are mine, now that I think about it. I should say this every week. I get everything (laughs) from everybody. And so you should know that. Okay, sorry. Back to the lab. All right. um, So we're, we're created for discipleship. You were created to become like Christ. That's what discipleship is. That we are grown into the likeness of Jesus. I remember growing up, I always wanted to be like my big brother. Cause he was super cool. When I tell you that my brother was cool, he was super cool. right, My brother looked like a menudo. Does anybody remember a menudo? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. My brother was like a menudo. In fact, you know, my brother was super I hated hanging out with my brother when it came to hanging out with girls. It was awful. Him and Raymond, it was like terrible. I was like, you know, I'm right here. And it was like nobody would pay any attention to me. Um but Oh no, it wasn't that bad. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Back onto what we're doing here. So my brother was super handsome. I wanted to be like my brother, and so I would wear his clothes, and I would, you know. But he was like five years older than me, and and so it didn't work out as well um, for me as I'd like. But here's the thing: when we're in Christ, we don't want to be like our big brothers. We don't want to be like our pastors. We don't want to be. I mean, I guess you. You do, like Paul says, you know, follow me as I follow Jesus. But in the end, ultimately, we want to follow Jesus. We want to be like Christ. And so, um, in being like Christ, uh, we see in Philippians what it looks like. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12. And thirteen. Now, one of the things that we do is we stand at the reading of God's Word. So would you just stand with me? This is going to kind of direct us in a, a roundabout way throughout the rest of the sermon. So I want you to read this with me in a nice, loud voice. This is from the, uh, the book of Philippians. Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church. Um, and we're just going to read two verses. Everybody in a nice, loud voice. Count of three. One, two, three. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. This is God's Word. Please have a seat. So do you see that? It says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purposes. Now, The first thing that we see here is that the the scripture here tells us to continue to work out your salvation. Now, we have to pause for a second because there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to this scripture. And when we see continue to work out your salvation, what we think we see is you got to make it happen, your salvation, that is. Now, for those of you who don't know what salvation is, where everybody is looking to be saved, everybody. You go, ah, that's not true. not me. No, listen to me. If you're single and you want to find the right person, you want to be saved from your singleness by finding the right person. We're not mad at you, we're just saying that's what you, you just want to be saved by it. If you're If you're uh, not making enough money and you want to make more money and you wanna, and you put your applications, you're hoping that another job opportunity will save you from the financial situation that you're presently in. If you go to the doctors because you're ill and he prescribes medication for you, you're hoping that that medication will save you from your illness. Everybody in every area of life is looking to be saved. But ultimately, in in the Christian community, we believe that the greatest salvation that is needed is found in Christ. In him is found all the joy and the peace and the happiness that we're looking for. And so when Paul says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because we grew up in America, because we're picking ourselves up by our own bootstraps kind of people, we think that this is actually saying, when it says work out your salvation, then you need to get, you need to make sure that you're saved yourself. That you work so that you can get saved. So you know what it looks like in America, right? The way you get into a relationship with Jesus is to be a good person. Now, to work hard, to be more honest. This is why whenever I share with people, hey, uh, come to Christ. What, what, what's stopping you from coming to Christ? It goes, well, you know what? I want to get my life back together before I can. And what they're doing is they're just, they're just stating what everybody else has been considering. Oh, yeah, everybody knows you got to be right before you get with God. you got to get right before you get with God. this is absolutely untrue and it's completely unscriptural you cannot save yourself you cannot save yourself any more than a small child who's been taken by an undertow in a bad beach and been dragged under the water that child cannot save themselves they need a savior we call them lifeguards and you too beloved need a savior we call him Jesus and so You cannot save yourself, not by your goodness, not by your generosity, not by your kindness, not by your honesty. You cannot save yourself. So the scriptures say, work out your salvation. What are they saying? Well, here's a couple of things that we know about working out. One is that you can't work out what you don't have. Here's what I mean. If you came up to me and you said, hey, Ed, your arms, they don't look very, you know, buff. You should work out your arms. I would go, OK, and then I would you know why I could say OK? Because I have arms. If you said, hey, Ed, work out your biceps. I was like, oh, I already possess those. I can build them up. OK. If you went to a person without arms, and you said, you know, your biceps, they look kind of puny. Well, that would be offensive. Why? Because they don't have arms. You can't ask somebody to work out something that they don't have. This scripture is telling us to work out something that's already been given to us. Salvation is a gift from God, not by works, lest any man should boast. In fact, that's the point, that's the reason why the Christian should be the most humble person in the world. Because when we look at our neighbor and we see our neighbor living a lifestyle that we don't like, we go, woof, but by the grace of God, that's me. You know what? I'm worse than you are. I'm just saved by grace. So we should never be proud. Christians should never be proud because the salvation is given to us by God. So he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in. You see, that's the basis of the salvation. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Isn't that good news? That means you go, but I can't change. Good news. You're right. You can't change. But I've tried to get clean. I've tried to get sober. I've tried to be faithful. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. You can't do it. You know why? Because you can't. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Isn't that good news? That means you go, I can't. Oh, wow, that's great. But you can. You rock. You can do it in me. Would you change my heart? Would you change my mind? Would you change my affections? Lord, I have this thing that I lean towards, this thing that I pursue. On a regular basis, it stirs me up for it, but it's not good for my soul. Lord, would you take that affection? Jesus goes, would you spend time with me? Because I'll take it from you. I'll take that affection for that thing. Because let me tell you something. You will never get over a bad habit by willpower. It's too strong. The only, you know why? Because A bad habit is just something that your affections are attached to. You know how you get over an old and bad affection? A new one. A new one. And listen to me, listen to me. If you were ever 17 years old and had your heart broken, you know this is true. Why? Because when you're 17 years old and your heart is broken and you've been going out with Raul for all of three months, He's wonderful. You thought you were going to be with him forever. (laughs) And then you see Raul walking around with a new boyfriend. (laughs) You go, what was that? What was that? I thought it was love forever. You go home, and you listen to your slow jams, whatever your slow jams are. I'm not going to pull out your ages, right? But it could be anything from Luther to wherever you go. Like who's, I don't know who's lately the slow jam person, but okay, all right. So you, right, right, so so what do you do? Your friends come over, and they go like this. The problem, beloved, is that your affections are attached to an old love. Therefore, you need new affections. No, they don't say that. You know what they say. Uh They say, you know what we need to do? We need to get you another man. We need to take you to the club. Put on your dance shoes. That's right. And they're absolutely right, but they're giving us. Now, they don't know that they're being theological. They don't know that they're they're deeply rooted. Their, Their principle is deeply rooted in Scripture. And it's this. In order to get rid of an old affection, you must introduce a new one. And so when you find yourself going, I can't, I can't stop this. I can't, I can't stop coming back to this, this thing that I keep on coming back to. I don't care if it's a spoon of food that you eat or or something that you smoke or take in your nose. I don't care if it's something that you, you can't stop spending the way you, you can't stop doing this thing that's hurting you. And, And you go, I can't, I've tried before, I can't stop. And Jesus goes, would you? Spend some time with me because the more you spend time with me, the greater your affections will grow and you will find that I'm more than just a savior from heaven to hell. I'm a savior from that bad habit to a great love affair with Jesus. Because God works in you to will and to act according to God's good pleasure. Because you know what? God's good pleasure is my joy. Let's say that together. God's good pleasure is my joy. Now, I know a lot of us think that God's good pleasure will hurt me. God's good pleasure will not be for my joy. You know, God's good pleasure will not be for my joy. God's good pleasure will be my inconvenience. It will be my pain. You know what? If I give my heart to Jesus, will he ask me to, you know, volunteer to, you know, hand out rice in China to, you know, like like a missionary and all that other stuff? We think that God is going to ask us to do things that aren't going to be our joy, and that's simply untrue. It's simply untrue. God's good pleasure is our joy. Say that again. God's good pleasure is my joy. It absolutely is. So then we go, well, how does God work it in so that we can then work it out? How does God work in this transformation that's taking place in my life so that I could live it out? As it says in the very beginning, work out your salvation in fear and troubling. Well, all right, God is going to start it. God is going to prepare it. God is going to do it. So let's see what God does. There's three major ways God changes our lives. And then those three ways that God changes our lives to make us like Jesus are three ways it will, will produce three choices that we'll make. Because God does this, He moves us to do that. Does this make sense? This is how God will turn us to become like Jesus. So let's look at the three tools that God uses to make us like Jesus. The first tool God uses to make us like Jesus is the Bible. Would you just write that down in the blank space there? Write that down. The first tool that God uses to make you like Jesus is the Bible. The Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says this, The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do what is right. It is God's way of making us well prepared at every point. You see, it's God's word. Beloved, if you are not in God's word, you are missing you're missing the major ingredient for God. You go, I don't know. I don't feel like my faith. You know what? I feel like I've lost all faith. I feel like I don't have any more faith. The first question we should ask is then, tell me, how is your scripture reading? Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so your faith is not meant to grow in a vacuum. Your faith is not meant to grow apart from God's word. God will use his word to change you. You go, but I've been in this lifestyle. I've been in this thing. I've done this act. I I can't stop. I I, I don't have faith. I feel like my faith is dissipating. Beloved, how is your time? God will use his scriptures. He'll use his word to change your life. He'll use his word to change your heart, to make you look like Jesus. Now, there's two things that I have to say about the Bible. One is that when we're thinking about finding God's will in our lives, when we're looking to find God's will in our lives, it'll never, ever contradict the Bible. Never. It won't. I've had people come up to me and go, Hey man, you know, um, I was with this person at work and I really love them and I think I'm gonna get married. I go, um, Too late, you already married. Um, you, you can't go in that direction. No, 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 no. God did it. God, this is, you know, you know, the way it happened, right? She came in and then I came in and then we just met and our eyes met and we were like, Wah. And it was like, like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Listen to me. Beloved, listen to me. If it contradicts God's word, it's not of God. You invented it. It's not. So, so the first thing that I would say is that God's plan is always found in his word. Not manipulated word, because you could take his word to manipulate um, it. I'm talking about what it really means, not what you think it means. What God's word really says, not what you think it says. Secondly, God's plan never contradicts his word it never does so you have it's always found in the bible you go i don't know what god's will in my life is brothers sisters get with god's word read god's word devout meditate on god's word memorize god's word get god's word in you it's powerful secondly so the first tool that god uses to change your life is what it's the sure the second tool that God uses to make you like Jesus is what? Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's the Spirit of God. You go, what's the Holy Spirit? Okay, so we're Trinitarian. Um, and Christians are Trinitarian. And what that means is that and you go, well, where do you find Trinity in the Bible? I go, well, you don't. But you don't find crack either, but you shouldn't smoke it anyway. And so... You don't have to find every word. Nor, it's a, the Trinity is a theological principle to sum up a great uh, biblical truth. And that's this. That God is three in one. He's not three gods. He's three in one. He's Father, Son, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's our God. And so our God, which is awesome, which is awesome and it has a whole lot of ramifications, but here's one of them. This means that God gets to live in you. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. So it's not like you're on your own. It's not like you have to change. You literally, you go, I can't change. We go, finally, we agree. But the Holy Spirit can work in you to change and to move into, way, into ways that God wants you. Second Corinthians 3.18 says it this way. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Jesus. As the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Jesus. You, we can't change on our own. The first thing that God uses is God's word. But the second thing that God uses to change our lives is God's spirit. I, I, I know this has happened to me several times, and I've heard you share it with me. You, something like this will happen. You know, something tragic happened, and then uh, I, I'll come up to you, or you'll tell me, he goes, I don't know what it is, but it's like, I don't know, God is doing something in me. I'm not reacting the same old way that I used to react. Or, or you're having a conversation with somebody and words just start coming out of your lips and you're like, I don't know where this came from. And it's like, oh, look. Look at what the Holy Spirit is doing and you're like, you know, someone does something to you, and you don't respond in the old-style ways, and you're like, "I don't even know why I did. I. In fact, I should feel, I feel like I should go back and give him a piece of my mind." And you go, "No, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit did something wonderful. The Holy Spirit, it's, listen, God does not leave you alone. It's not like God saves you, and then you're on your own, kid. do the best you can. That's not it. No, no, no. God says. I'll save you, and I'll live in you. I'll save you, and I'll, here's a $3 word, sanctify you. I'll sanctify you. I'll make you look like Jesus. You go, no, no, no. If it's going to happen, if I'm going to look like Jesus, I'm going to do it. God goes, please. (laughs) I've seen you five years from now working on in your own strength. You look a lot like you do now. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Because you don't, listen, listen, you don't need a helper, you need a Savior. Amen. You don't need a one, you don't need a, 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 a one hand up, you need a Savior. Amen. And so he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us, to make us like Jesus. So the first tool that God uses to make us like Jesus is the Bible. The second tool that God uses to make us like Jesus is the Holy Spirit. The third tool that God uses to make us like Jesus is circumstances. Would you write that down? Circumstances. Let's talk about this for a second. Okay. God is going to use moments in your life, uncomfortable, joyful, pressure, elation, heartache, He's going to use it all to make you look like Jesus. Romans 8, 28, and 29 says this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God chose them to become like his son, to become like Jesus. God is going to use circumstances so have you ever found yourself, have you ever done this? Um, have you ever prayed for patience? God, just give me patience. Give me patience. Anybody? If you've ever prayed for patience, raise your hand. What happens the very next minute that you pray for patience? Anybody know? Oh, my goodness. I was in, I was in South Carolina, and I'm not kidding. This is a true story. I'm in South Carolina. And we're waiting online. The, the line is two people deep. I'm the third person. Our family is the third, is the third customer. We're two people deep. And and this is what I'm, i wish I could do this for as long as they did this. And it's like, Martha, is that you, Martha? Sure is, Mill. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing just fine. How are the kids? How Jetro and so and so? She was like, oh, he's just great. You know, Jetro just got into college. Let me show you a picture. He's in such and such. Twenty minutes. Twenty minutes wanted to put a bullet in both of them. It was awful. <laughs> 20 minutes, two people, two people. Because after Martha got done, it was like, is that true, Susie? Yeah. I turned to my family. I said, don't you tell her nothing. And I was like, it got so bad. It got so bad that we were online because like, we have this like, hobby. Our family does this thing. Like, we really like thrift stores, so wherever we go, we find thrift stores. We went to the next store, and uh, a friend of ours, Elizabeth, um, it, we were like, we were like, how many people are we online? Oh, we're in the third person in line. I said, yeah, go ahead. She's like, oh, I got to go back home and pick up something I forgot. I said, go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. We'll be here when you get back. It's all right. Because when you pray for patience, God gives you circumstances that help you to grow your patience (laughs) go ahead and pray for love god just give me more love don't put the most nastiest people in your in your path you know why because god uses circumstances god uses circumstances it's one of the tools that god uses you go God, I have this dream of mine that I really want to fulfill, and I think that you've given me the talent and the gift to fulfill this dream, but it's not happening. And God is going, because you want the dream more than you want me, baby, I'm trying to teach you worship. God uses circumstances. God, I want to get this deal closed because I, you know, because the finances I'll use, by the way, if you don't regularly give to the church, don't think that God takes your word for it. If you go, like, yeah, if I hit the lottery, then I'll give to the church. Yeah, not likely. Not likely. Don't get me started. But you go, you know, God, I, I really want this job. The reason that I want this job is because I want more money so that I could you know, bless your kingdom. And, and, and God goes, beloved, I can't give you the more money because I know your heart. I, I live in you in my Holy Spirit. I know your heart, and I know that that money will become an idol to you, that you'll depend more on that money, more than you do on me, that once I give you that money, the prayers will stop, the dependence will end, you will run off in your own way. I'm not saying that I'm never going to give you money. I'm just saying if I gave it to you now, it'd be like giving a little kid a gun. You'd hurt yourself. See, God uses circumstances. So you go, God, why am I in this situation? And God goes, <clears throat> because you prayed for it. You prayed to love me more. You prayed to have me as the affection of your heart. That's why I had to get rid of the guy. That's why I had to get rid of the thing. That's why I had to, because those things were coming in the way of you loving me. Now there are people who money's not that issue. Money, the more money they get. I just literally yesterday I was told. And I, I can't wait to meet the guy. I'm going to meet a guy whose father sold a company. And believe me, I can't wait to meet this guy. Um, and you'll understand in a minute. Uh, whose father sold a company for $500 million and then gave 90% away. You can understand why I want to meet him now. And so I go, hey, we got a church movement, man. I could really use your support. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm unabashed by that. I don't get one red cent if y'all give more or less. I don't get, it doesn't change the car that I drive. doesn't change the house that I live. But what God is doing in the Bronx in New Jersey, in Staten Island, in Brooklyn, and in California through the Recovery House of Worship movement, you should get excited. Somebody should have got excited about that. It's powerful what God is doing. So needless to say, I can't wait to meet the guy. And so, but, when I, but watch this. But the reason, the reason if God decides to give us those finances um, through this person, I'm elated, but, but that, that, that's not my God. Who cares? If he gives it to me, that's wonderful. If he doesn't give it to us, then that's fine too because God will do it some other way because our affections are for Jesus. Our Savior is Jesus, not in donors. Listen to me. God will use circumstances. And I know that might be people. Right now, you might be in your circumstance. You might be in your circumstance right now. Right now. You might be in your circumstance. And God is using it. He's saying, but I want you. I'm trying to get you to love me. Those are the three things that God uses. God uses, all right, so let's look at the three tools that God uses to make you like Jesus, okay? Let's review. The first tool that God uses to make you like Jesus is the? The second tool that God uses to make you like Jesus is the The Holy Spirit. Spirit. Third? Third. Circumstances. Okay, now, let's look at, now, as God does this, it brings a response in us. In other words, this is all the work of God. Somebody say, "This this is all the work of God. This is all the work of God. This is all the work of God of God. If you start taking credit for God's work, then you miss out on the joy and the gratitude that you would have if you just recognized it as His work. God's work. So, the three choices that these tools that God uses, the three choices that God uses, uh, the results of the tools that God is using in your life will result into choices. And here's the first choice. You can, choose, you can choose to change what you think about. Choose to change. That's my fault that that's not, um, change is not on there. You can choose to change. Write that down. Change what you think about. You can choose to change what you think about. OK. Let's talk about this for a second. Remember what was the first tool? Anybody know the first tool that God uses to make the first tool that God uses to make you like Jesus is Bible. When we get into the Bible, God starts changing our thinking because our thinking is upside down. I don't know about you, but I have instant programmed responses to stuff of life instantly. Like I don't have to think about it. I don't have to try to think that way. Automatically, automatically, my mind goes to a particular, in a particular way. Um, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, verses twenty-three, there must be spiritual renewal for your thoughts and attitudes. You know why your mind needs spiritual renewal? Because we've been brought up in a culture, we've been brought up with a mindset that is anti. Christ. That it is against Jesus. And so Jesus says, I want, listen, the reason that I want you to love me most is because I'm the only thing that you could get addicted to that won't kill you. I'm the only thing that you could love with all your heart that won't destroy yours. I'm the only one that you could lose yourself in me and find yourself at the same time. The only one. But our minds are so saturated with the things of this world, we just believe. Oh gosh! So, God says, "I want you can choose." If when you read God's word, when God is using His word to change your mind, then you can choose to believe the Bible rather than your old behaviors, your old pattern, your old thought, your old ways of doing things. The Bible says here in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11: How can a young man keep his ways pure? By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. You see, if you're stuck in some pattern, if you're stuck in some way of thinking, if you're stuck with some ideas that are not of God, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when God uses the tool of his word, he uses the tool of his word to get you to change your thinking. You go, I don't, know what I, I don't know what my nature of thinking is. Do me a favor. Ask this of yourself about ten times. How do I renew my mind? How do I renew my mind? Go. How is my mind renewed? Like, I'm just having a bad thought. I'm just, you know, my wife does something. Oh, she never loved me anyway. No, 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 brother. That's, the, no, no, no. This is an opportunity for you to love your wife like Jesus has loved you. You just lost your job. You see, I'm a loser. I'll never be. No, 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 no. This is an opportunity for you to depend on Christ for your next step rather than depend on your boss. Oh, but you know, listen, beloved. Jesus will change the way you think. He will change your mind. But he won't do it. In a vacuum, he'll do it by you. He'll do it through the tool of his word. Secondly, you can choose to, write this down, depend on God's spirit moment by moment. You can choose to depend on God's spirit moment by moment. John 15, 4 and 5 says this, take care to live in me and let me live in you for a branch can't produce fruit when severed from the vine, nor can you be fruitful apart from me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him shall produce a large crop of fruit. Okay, listen to me. This is big. We have to abide in Christ. We have to be plugged in. You cannot get, listen, I love 12-step groups. I'm I'm a part of a 12-step group. Beloved, there's no power in 12-step groups. There's power in Jesus. Yeah. Now, 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 if you're in a 12-step group, you better go back to your 12-step group. Keep going to your 12-step groups. Why do I say that? Because just there's humility in that. There's a beauty in that. There's an opportunity for you to serve others. It's wonderful. Don't hear me say anything else. Our power is found in Christ. It's not found in principles. Does this make sense?
1: In other words, you can tell me,
0: here's a a spiritual and biblical principle. Be honest. Now watch me lie through my teeth when I really am pushed up against the wall. You know why? Because I don't have any power. There's no power in a principle. There's power in Jesus. The power is not found in you But Jesus can give it to you by his Holy Spirit. Do you see how this is working together? So, right, God uses the tool uh, of the Bible to make you look like Jesus so that you can choose to change what you think. God uses the tool of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you so that you can choose to depend on God's Spirit. Do you see how these two are coming together? One, one, two, two, do you see that? Okay, it's like this. You and I are like a phone. So have you ever done this, where you have your phone, and you walk into a room, or in a car, or whatever, and this is what you you look like. (laughs) What do you look like? You look like a person who's looking for uh, somewhere to plug into. You go, can I plug into anywhere? Can I just plug in? You know, hey, 21st century problems. You know, can I? You know, right? And so, you know, why you're doing that? Here's why you're doing that. You you know, you know that your phone is powerful. You know that your phone can help you to cook a meal, change a tire, make a phone call. You know that your phone has the ability to call people on the other side of the world, tell people, uh, sh- send people a picture. Um, Uh, receive information, a video from what's happening, look at news, you know that your phone is very, very powerful, but your phone is only as powerful as when it is plugged into a power source. When your phone is plugged into a power source, oh my, you can do all sorts of things, and believe me, believe me, And when you unplug your phone, it still feels powerful. But even at that moment, the very moment you unplug it, the power is being depleted. So your phone works best when it is plugged into a power. You know you're like that too? You're just like that. You and I should be every minute in our souls be going, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me. Teach me your ways. Look, I'm walking into a room, and I'm asking Jesus. I'm going, Jesus, how can I bless this person? How can I bless this person? How can I bless this person? When I'm walking into a counseling session, I go, give me the words. Help me to listen to their pain. Help me to weep with those who mourn, and rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm just, every minute, you depend. you You know how you know you don't depend on God for a particular thing in your life? Do you know how you know? You don't pray about it. If you're not praying about it, you're not depending on God. When was the last time you prayed for your marriage? When was the last time you prayed for your kids? When was the last time you prayed for your health? When was the last time you prayed for your job, your situation? When was the last time you prayed to close a deal or start the new endeavor? Or when was the last time you prayed to stay clean? It's, you know you don't depend on Jesus for it if you are not praying about it. But I'm telling you, we're a phone. We need the power. We don't have the power. It's only in him that the power is found. Prayer is an indicator of um, dependence on God. Thirdly, let's look at this quickly. You can choose to respond your circumstances. Respond to your circumstances the way Jesus would. Respond to your circumstances the way Jesus would. Okay. Do you remember we said The Bible. The tool is the Bible that God uses and the choice that we make is to change our minds to believe the Bible rather than the world. The tool that God uses is the Holy Spirit and the choice that we make is to depend on the Spirit of God in moment by moment situations. The tool is circumstances that we just talked about. Our choice is to respond to those circumstances the way Jesus would James chapter one, verses two through four says this, when all kinds of trials crowd, your, crowd into your lives, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed and you become people of mature character, people of integrity, While no, with no weak spots. Watch this. Every one of us, for the rest of this year, every one of us are going to have to go through one thing that blows our mind. Our life is going to get changed in 2016. I need you to know that. Things are not going to go the way you planned. Every year, something happens that I did not plan for. The issue is, not as a Christian, will things happen to me. The issue is, how will I respond? Viktor Frankl, who was uh, a victim of Nazi concentration camps in World War II, was at one point stripped down and naked. His wife was taken from him. His family was taken from him. His finances, his goods, everything was taken from him. He was standing in front of these Nazis, naked. And he said something happened in that moment. That they could, He realized, he had a thought. They could take everything from me, but they cannot take my freedom to choose how I'm going to respond. They cannot. He's right. He's right. Stuff is going to happen to you. It's going to be difficult. Kids, health, stuff is going to happen. What's our response going to be to these circumstances? God is giving us these circumstances. God, this circumstance is a gift from you. What's your What are you going to be respond to? Are you going to go, that's it, God. You didn't play with, by my rules. I'm leaving. Is that going to be your response? God, if you don't give me this, I'm going to be out. Is that going to be your response? It's going to be, God, you know what? Obviously, you can't be dependent on with my finances, so excuse me while I manipulate and and work around things to get the kind of finances I think I deserve. No, God going, I'm trying to teach you something. Beloved, don't blow up your marriage. Don't respond to your kids negatively. Don't look at the doctor and go, oh, all hope is lost. God will use circumstances so that you could choose to respond to him in a way that is of him. Now, this week, this week you're going to be given an opportunity, beloved, an opportunity to surrender to Christ. The tools that he'll give you will be the Bible, The Holy Spirit and circumstances. He'll give you the Bible to change your mind about the way you think. So, would you get into God's Word? You're not sure? Ask somebody sitting next to you and keep on asking until you find someone who helps you. Uses the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit, not your feelings, not your impressions, not your anxieties. Follow the Holy Spirit. And He'll use your circumstances so that you could choose Jesus rather than the other stuff in life. Let me tell you. We serve a God that is great and powerful. And He loves you. And while He uses these tools to bring about these choices, let me tell you how we got to this point. God was in heaven looking down on you and me, seeing all of time and all of people, realizing that all of us would rebel from Him forever. All of us would rather prefer our sin rather than His presence. And God said, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. So God said Himself, I will go myself. You and I, we have sinned against God. We've turned our back to God. We have run from Jesus. And God says, "Listen to me. We and you know how you do this, right? You you do it by sin. You know what sin is? It's just choosing you rather than choosing God. Have you ever have you ever chosen you other than God? You've done it a million times. In our lies, in our rebellion, Whatever you've done, nobody ever had to convince me that I've done wrong. I knew I'd done wrong. Beloved, Jesus said there's only two options. Either you will pay the penalty for your sin, and you know what the penalty for your sin is? Separation from God forever. Eternal death. The Bible calls it hell. You don't want that. I don't want that for you. You go, oh man, you really believe that? I was kind of into your talk, it made sense, but I can't believe you believe this nonsense about death. Believe me, beloved, believe me. God is true. And if you believe that your loved ones go to heaven, why would God want to contaminate heaven with people who don't want to be there? with people who would hate being there. You know what that looks like? Earth. God says there's an eternal separation from you, from him, by our sin. That thing that you did at 2 o'clock on the morning on Saturday night, the lie that you told your loved one, the way you broke that person's heart, I don't know what your sin is, you do. God says, there's only two ways. Either you could pay the penalty for it, death, or Jesus could pay the penalty for it. And so God came himself and lived the life that you should have lived, but you did not, and died the death that you deserve to die, but don't have to. God came and paid the penalty for your sin. And God says, listen, He didn't just pay the penalty for your sin. He also rose from the dead. You go, man, that's, I'm not sure I believe that. Believe me, beloved. There's, God has brought you here to share that story with you, to let you know. Here's the gospel, the good news. That's what gospel means, good news. The gospel is, you are worse than you think. In other words, you deserve death. You think that it was just a little sin that hurt that one person? No, it was an offense and an affront to God. God says, beloved, you're worse than you think. And he says, you're more loved than you could imagine. Think about that for a second. Like I'm here before you and I'm, this is as good as I'll look. I've dressed up as much as I can. I have my best manners on. This is as good as I'll ever be. God sees me with my morning breath. God sees me with my funk and guilt and shame and crud. God sees me with all my dirty and all my grimy. God sees me. And he says, come here, you. I love you. I want me some of you. Come here. Because he loves, listen, because you're grimier than you think and that doesn't stop God's love. That doesn't stop his affection. That doesn't stop his salvation for being good for you. The point of Christianity is not to prove that you're good. It's to admit that you're so bad you need a savior. And so Jesus, knowing that's true, he said, I never want you to forget that truth. I never want you to forget that you are worse than you think and that I love you more than you can imagine. And so at the Last Supper, Jesus instituted a reminder, and it was connected to a meal because you always eat. That's why we pray every time we have a meal. We're reminded that with every bite, Jesus provided salvation for you and for me.